Welcome to the Contracting Officer Podcast. It's not just for contracting officers. If you work anywhere in the government acquisition world, this podcast is for you. This episode is brought to you by Skyway Acquisition. If you're frustrated with your progress in the government market, visit askskyway.com because Skyway's team of former contracting officers helps their customers move faster, win more contracts, and manage the contracts they have more effectively. Our topic today is blanket purchase agreements. In an earlier episode called, Is This a Contract?, Kevin and I discussed the basic elements of a contract and how easy it can be to misunderstand how your contract actually works or doesn't work. In this episode, Skyway team members Shelly Hall and Steve Lucinetti joined Kevin to discuss blanket purchase agreements or BPAs, one of the most easily misunderstood types of contractual arrangements. Shelly and Steve are both former contracting officers who use BPAs in many different circumstances. Let's join their conversation in progress. There are so many kind of vehicles. You know, we have IDIQ, which is indefinite delivery, indefinite quantities, C-type, firm fixed price, government-wide acquisition contracts, blanket purchase agreements, basic ordering agreements, simplified acquisition process, contracts, other transaction agreements, general services, schedules, purchase orders, and they all have a different structure, different rules, and a different application. And there's a lot of risk in misapplying them. <laughs> I mean, the, the impact of that risk is different depending on the industry versus government, but there's risk on both sides. So today, let's focus on just the BPA. But first, let's say thanks. Thanks in this episode is to Larissa Kamaklang. If it's uh, Larissa or Larissa, sorry, I'm, I'm going off of a LinkedIn profile. Uh, she's a contract administrator at General Atomics Aeronautics in San Diego. We're getting some new listeners in California. It's kind of cool. And I'd like to say thanks to her for liking and sharing and commenting on our content on LinkedIn, on the podcast. Because the more people like and share and comment on our content, the more likely people are to listen to it, which means we're helping more people. So thanks for that. Thanks, Larissa. Okay, back to what is a BPA? FAR Part 2 actually doesn't have a reference. doesn't actually explain specifically what a BPA is. Uh, she was up in FAR 13 and also, I believe, in FAR Part 15. The simple explanation, as defined in 13303-1, is a simplified method of, of filling anticipated repetitive needs for supplies or services by establishing a charge account with qualified sources of supply. Definition of that's in FAR 16.7, if you want to go check it out. GSA also defines a BPA as something that's to simplify the filling of recurring needs for supplies and services while leveraging ordering activities buying power by taking advantage of quantity discounts, saving administrative time, and reducing paperwork. So that's what this is supposed to do. So this thing is all about flexibility for the government. It says taking advantage of the ordering activities buying power to get quantity discounts and to basically have contractors on call. So that's, that's really what a, a BPA is designed to do. So Shelly, what kind of stuff did you get with a BPA or through a BPA? Well, really throughout my career, especially in operational contracting settings, we did BPAs on everything from golf cart maintenance to uh, bottled water to religious-related services. And the reasons why we did those is because under the interpretation of the government purchase card regulation, the, uh, a BPA is a pre-priced agreement. And so we could use that to pay for these small dollar items and services uh, using the government purchase card. So they say, hey, let's put a BPA agreement for golf cart cart maintenance, which is state in Florida. And so they could just, you know, pay $250, whatever, 
each time they came for their golf cart maintenance. In my experience, what we used it for was very non-technically complex things, uh, supplies and services in, in, yes, small dollars. But there's nothing that limits it. But that's my experience. And, and we'll talk more about that later. All right, so Steve, did you use it for small, repetitive purchases? Yeah, for the most part, it was small, repetitive type stuff. Uh, when I was with DLA on the aircraft side of the house, it was for fasteners that were very common, nuts, bolts, washers, stuff like that. Um, for a while there at the FDA, I saw them using it for syringes and test tubes and stuff like that. There has been one, uh, ones that have been used for more complex, common medical equipment, but it's usually more smaller. We used to talk about, you would buy pencils and paper with them. Uh, it was, wasn't supposed to be complex stuff. Back in the early days, I think nowadays they've moved towards more complex stuff on BPAs, and I'm not sure how that's all working for them. Yeah, we actually helped one of our clients win a BPA, which is a funny way to say it, and we'll talk about that more later. But it was for, for professional services. In theory, it's just it's going to operate just like your religious services, but these are professional management services, and it was uh, it, it was difficult to administer. <laughs> we'll say it that way. So it, it's important to understand what a BPA is not, and this is a glaring example of the risk of when you don't know what you don't know. It's not a contract. It's an agreement. That's why it's you know blanket purchase agreement, right? There's no guaranteed work, and if you reread the GSA language, it says. This is designed to leverage ordering activities buying power. The benefit of flexibility is on the government side. It is not flexible for the contractor. It basically, it's like being on call without getting a retainer. What they're saying is, hey, we expect you to deliver this when we call, but we're not going to pay you to stand there and wait. And that's, that's just weird. Kevin, I agree with you that you know the idea that you're being kind of on call for me, I, I struggled with that up to the very last day of my uh, career with the idea of services being on call. How do you keep people, like management people, on call? I can understand if you're in the business of selling a product and you always have it on the shelf and an order comes in, I just reach up, throw it in a box, and off it goes. But people, how do you keep people on the shelf? That's an expense to a company. They got to be on the payroll. How quickly do you need to respond? So I struggle and could understand a, con a contractor really has to think about how he's going to manage his personnel to supply services when he doesn't know when the work's going to show up. In Shelly's case where it's like maintenance, sure, you're going to be fixing golf carts all the time from maybe a bunch of different people. Golf cart comes in and you fix it. But if you're looking to send somebody to go do some work someplace or answer a problem, do you have enough bandwidth to answer all the problems that might come in and solve them for a guy. I, it's, it's a management challenge to me. Yeah. Particularly if, if you're not getting paid for those people to wait, which means that they're working on something else, which means you have to pull them off of that something else to have them work on this BPA, which that is a management decision, right? So one of the things to consider then is it's an agreement and agreements go both ways. The contractor is not required to deliver. It, is it? Is it? They can opt out. Is that the right term? I think you said it was. A, they can cancel the, uh, the. It's not really awarded. It's basically an agreement that's set in place. And so, part of the challenge to this then is that the contractor has employees for 
these professional services because it makes it makes the complexity really obvious. They have employees who are working on another contract. And then here comes the BPA. We have a BPA for them to do a study. Well, let's say those employees are on a different project and they're already employed full time. Now the contractor can say, sorry, I, I can't fulfill this order. You give it to somebody else. So that's the other side of the BPA is it, there is there is no contractually binding piece behind it, which, by the way, that that's why it's free. That's why the government doesn't have to pay for you to stand there and wait because you don't actually have to deliver. And that that's something I don't think both sides clearly understand. I agree. I think I think that's one of the, the main things, because what was interesting to me and I'm going to keep using just the golf cart maintenance the, the, because that was one we used quite a bit. It was a company that they regularly did golf cart maintenance that's what their job was and so you know they had bob and jim and joe and they would send one of the guys out to the base and fix the golf cart and life was good but um i do not believe that they understood again this was a local golf cart maintenance place small business i don't believe they understood that they didn't have to perform I think they thought they had something that was signed by a government contracting officer, and it didn't matter what that form was or what it said on the top of it or what terms and conditions were in there. They thought when that call came in, you know, from the golf course that said you got, that they had to come. Of course, I wasn't going to tell them any difference. The customer wasn't going to tell them any difference. But I think it was it was pretty clear to me that for, for many of these, and again, whatever it was um you know it seems bottled water seems simple they've got a thousand things in there well after hurricane katrina nobody had a thousand bottles stored of bottled water and so when you had the 920th rescue squadron they needed to take bottled water up in their airplanes to take to hurricane katrina victims you were hard pressed to find anybody that had bottled water sitting somewhere even though you had your multiple purchase in bpas with different people they were upset because they couldn't perform. And I was like, hey, it's, it's an agreement. If you, you know, if you can't provide it, you can't provide it. There's, there's no contractual binding on either side. And sometimes I think they were surprised to hear that. And that's another example of what we don't know actually can hurt us. <laughs> I was just going to say, I, I, I have always found it confusing, and I, I'm no industry must find it confusing, between GSA schedule BPAs, you know, GSA BPAs, and agency BPAs, because they both can do them. So I think agency BPAs are a little bit less risky because you're kind of dealing with the same guy. But the GSA BPAs are like, you don't know where your order is going to come from. And the civilian side, anybody can go access a GSA. You know, anybody from FDA, HUD, any of the agent, IRS, anything. If you're selling pencils, you can get orders from different guys. When you get to the agency things, at least you might be dealing with the same CO all the time or the same requirements people, you know, guys asking, you know, setting the requirements for it. I see a lot of risk in it sometimes, it, or at least a lot of disappointment potential that is going to be bigger. And we've said it a number of times here that it's it, not as big as you think it's going to be. And you just don't know what's going to happen when you, when you do one of these, which I think drives you to get a better understanding when you go to do these. What exactly is my customer base going to be if you're talking to an agency? And these are getting more complex, some of these BPA orders, right? Which amplifies. The risk because now if it was for bottled water <laughs> that's a bpa for bottled water well then it goes to be a a bpa for a ten thousand dollar piece of medical equipment up to a hundred thousand dollars worth of professional services the risk is increasing to industry and government as the value increases 
but the rules behind the BPA haven't changed. See, if you're talking equipment, your ability, your lead time to get that equipment someplace, it's a lot easier for you to figure that out. If I'm going to have one on a shelf, if I have to go get something from some supplier, I can put that all in there and you're not going to, hopefully not going to commit on your BPA to a schedule that you can't meet. So it's like, hey, if you want this from me, it takes me 39 days to get it to you, whatever. Services, how long does it take you to round up the people? And if you have them, how long does it take you to pull them off of one thing? Because when you pull them off of one thing, then you have to go deal with the fact that you might not meet your delivery schedule on that service over there. Again, I think services are much more complicated to do under BPAs and even IDIQs. Some of the things that I see out there, you know, when I'm doing market research and market intelligence gathering is, you know, I see out in USA Spending these BPAs that are being awarded and, you know, notionally they'll say this is a BPA for $14 million, of course, really, which is a BPA for $0 because there's no guaranteed work under it. So first of all, the contractor has to understand that. But again, it is, it's for something, you know, professional, scientific, technical services. And I'm pretty sure they don't have that, that PhD just sitting there or that piece of subject matter expert or, or whatever. They're not just sitting there twiddling their thumbs waiting for a call under this BPA. Or the worst case scenario would be that in fact that company, because now they've got a contract with the government, and that was air quotes there because they do not have a contract with the government, but that they believe, yes, that they need to have that subject matter expert or PhD or whatever just sitting on the sidelines all the time available for that BPA waiting for a call that never comes. Yeah, and on the government side, the, the risk here is, is what if the contractor doesn't understand all that? A couple of things can happen. One is that they're not ready when you order, which kind of to your point, now, now you're not getting delivery like uh, the bottled water during Katrina as an example. But what you end up with is, is you be, end up being dead right. I walked across the street and I had, it was a green light and I was in the crosswalk and the car hit me and killed me. Yes, I should not have been hit when I'm in the crosswalk on a green light, but I still was. Right, so let's be, don't, don't be, yes, we should have had a delivery and we didn't because your customer needs a delivery. One of my recent blogs talked about requirements generation for IDIQ. It's the same thing here. Understanding the requirement from the government is essential. You, you, if you do not understand what their, what their ordering scale is going to be and their ordering frequency, it could get really, really hard for you to, to do, do this business this way. Just to tag on to that, I think because we've got some contracting officers out there, hopefully a lot of them that are listening to these podcasts, you need to make a knowledgeable decision and a thoughtful decision before you put something on a BPA. Because to me, you should never put a mission critical item or service on a BPA. You have to be very thoughtful in what kind of contract you're putting together and what kind of arrangement and make sure the contractor understands exactly what their obligation is and what your obligation is. Again, you as the contractor need to protect yourself and understand what the government's going to ask from you in terms of performance when he throws this order at you. And you're like, oh, I got to get it done tomorrow. Well, and that's a good segue to the industry side. You know, why does the industry care about the impact of BPAs? And the biggest one, which both of you are alluding to, is this idea of cash flow. Is do you know what your projected revenue is actually going to be? I mean, granted, it's projected revenue. 
So it's still a guess, but is it an educated guess? Because if you have, if you call it a $14 million BPA, Shelly, and you don't realize that that equates to zero actual projected revenue. The problem is if only the contracts person knows the BPA is not really worth any actual revenue unless we generate it, or for that matter, if there's a requirement for it, the government asks for, it it's not, doesn't have any real value. So it's not really part of your backlog. You can't call a, a $14 million BPA part of your $14 million backlog of contracts because it doesn't have any value to it. Take Shelley's example of the water. You're on contract to provide water if there's a hurricane. There's no hurricanes for four months. Nothing in June, nothing in July. August, still nothing. September, really quiet. You know, you're sitting there for four months waiting for an order for water and nothing happens. So there's no revenue because there's been no activity. All right. So let's wrap this up. Uh, The the big takeaway for me is know the difference between a BPA and an IDIQ and a contract. Know what what the government thinks you are doing and what your liability is for it, number one. And the other side of that, what is your true opportunity that is going to be materialized? What opportunity is really going to turn into reality for you as opposed to a $14 million piece of paper that you can't actually do anything with? I wrote a blog about who has bragging rights, and it's real simple. If you have one contractor who has a $14 million BPA and another contractor, you know, they're all three sitting talking, another contractor who's got a $5 million IDIQ multiple award schedule contract, and a third guy that's got a $100,000 firm fixed price contract, and everybody's congratulating the two guys with the big awards, the only one that has guaranteed revenue is the guy with the firm fixed price $100,000 contract. So the other two guys need to be more impressed with what he did than vice versa. There's a joke in there. Three three contractors walk into a bar. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I always used to uh, say that um, I would love to have industry and con- and government would celebrate the award of a contract, and I would be like, what's there to celebrate? Celebrate when there's actual delivery and performance. That's what you celebrate. The real work is getting the product to the customer when he needs it. It'd be nice a year later to celebrate that, hey, I did 13 orders for you every month. I did an order for you and you had your equipment and product exactly when you needed it. That was what you would celebrate. Not that, oh, I got a contract and I might get a, I might get some stuff this year. Maybe. Might. Maybe. That's a really good point about celebrating. When to celebrate. You know, that's a different podcast for a different day. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks to you both. I appreciate you guys being on the podcast and we'll see you on the next one. See you later. Okay, that's it for this episode. If you have questions about how BPAs work, visit askskyway.com and schedule a time to talk to Kevin and the team. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week. Yeah.